welcome back to the Entertainment Goes Pop podcast for all things entertainment, crossover with all things pop culture, meaning video games, TV, movies, music, sports. It's all fair game on this podcast. And it's also crossing over with all things international here lately as I've got discussion on the final episode of The Amazing Race Australia as that season has wrapped up. I've got discussion on the finale and my thoughts on it. Also, the week of Big Brother Canada, the happenings going on there with the Invisible HOH week. Survivor is back. They are getting ready to go back to filming. Got some other TV news. Got Carrie Underwood's My Savior album. It's been released. I've got my thoughts and review on it. And some other topics this week on this week's edition of the podcast. finish line of this season of the amazing race australia was reached this past sunday down in australia as we had the big finale with the final three teams of the Sikhs, jessica and anurag the cowboys brendan and jackson and the gold coast girls of ashley and amanda how would this play out well i said last week that i had a win called for ashley and amanda that's who i really felt like was going to pull this race out because they've just been so strong throughout Did they win? Well, let's discuss the big finale. So we left off last week with all the teams spending the night off the edge in elevated tents with a beautiful view of Sydney, Australia. It's a really awesome view from up there. They had a really cool camera shot from up there. So the first task of this final leg gets us to the roadblock. One member of your team has to ride a flyboard for 10 straight seconds. And you also have to dress in a judge costume while doing it. So basically, you will start floating, and then you will hit the switch to make it raise up, and then hold that for 10 seconds. So Jaskarat, Amanda, and Jackson are the three there that take on this task. So early on, we had all three struggling to even stay up for four seconds, much less 10 seconds. So Jackson was the first one to finish this task. Amanda finished next, followed by Jaskarat, and he looked awesome up high on his completing run that he did. He was like almost as high as that thing would go. It was really, really cool. So we move on route info for the next task as teams would have to take rolled up pieces and roll the strips out, and they would put together two giant puzzles of the Australian and Aboriginal flags. So you're gonna roll these things out and then they're gonna form puzzle pieces. They're just big long strips of pieces. And then you've gotta roll them and connect them into this big giant puzzle out in the grass there. So the cowboys noticed first thing, they looked up and saw that there were flags up there on the flagpoles and they're like, oh, hey, well, we'll just look at those and kind of use those as kind of our picture to uh, make sure they had everything right. Famous last words, (laughs) as you're going to find out. Uh, Ashley and Amanda noticed something immediately with Cowboys when Amanda says, we aren't watching what the Cowboys are doing because they have their flag upside down and backwards. Yeah, the Cowboys, what they had basically done, they had mirrored the flag to where it was wrong. They had it backwards and mirrored upside down. 
So, and the girls caught on to that right away. They figured out, and they're like, we're not going to watch them because we know what they're doing wrong. So the Cowboys have this all going. They call for a check, thinking that they're good to go. And the judge gives them a thumbs down. And they're like, what's wrong? How is that possible to where we had this wrong? Then they figured it out pretty much right away. They figured out what they'd done wrong. So they had to try to come up with the easiest task of how to flip this thing back to right and like the quickest and easiest way to do it. So we had Ashley and Amanda bickering back and forth quite a bit with themselves on this task, which is highly unusual for this team. They're usually very kind of, they don't get frustrated with one another. You know, they'll get frustrated with other teams. So you could see the pressure was really getting getting to them in this finale with them being so close to the win and the $250,000 here. So the teams were really struggling getting the stars right on the Australian flag and putting it in the right placement. There was They were having some trouble making sure they had all those strips lined up correct. So... Ashley and Amanda call for a check. They've got it right. Cowboys call for a check immediately right after them, and they're good to go too. So the top two teams are out of there and on to the next task. The Seeks later call for a check, and they're finished too, but now they're they're behind here, so they've got some ground to make up. So we move on to the roadblock. This is a task that only can only be completed by one team member, and it has to be the other person that didn't do the first task, you know, a few minutes before in this episode. So that gives us Anurag, Ashley, and Brendan as the three that are going to be doing this task here. So this roadblock task has teams taking a chopper to Threadbow River. And this is a first come, first serve task. So getting there as fast as possible is what is going to count here. So once you get there, the team member will board a stunt chopper and hover over a lake. So they're going to climb down the rope ladder to retrieve the next clue and then jump into the freezing cold water and swim out to continue on to the next task. So Ashley and Amanda point out here, they're saying just how the Cowboys would be so far ahead of everyone right now if they hadn't messed up with the flags being mirrored and how... This would have been a major issue and really gave, you know, the rest of them an opportunity here. But now Ashley and Amanda run into a problem of their own on the way to the airport for this task when their cab driver passes right by the entrance missing it. And it was marked with flags and everything. And Ashley and Amanda were in the back seat saying where to turn. And they're like, oh, there's the flags. Yeah, you turn right there. But the driver still missed it and kept going. So this is a deal where the driver had to drive all the way back around and then come back to enter again. It wasn't like he could just pull over, turn around, jump right back in. He had to do like a full loop back around. So this takes Ashley and Amanda from first place to last place as they enter into the airport here. And I say this often, but that is how quickly things can turn on this race and how often it can be completely out of your control. So all it takes is like a bad cab driver, just getting lost, just something, something so simple can take you from the top to the bottom so quickly. We've just seen it countless times in the Amazing Race, you know, all different versions all around the world. 
So again, this is first come, first serve. So now they are third in line here instead of going in first. Every second of this race counts, you know. So the Cowboys arrive first, followed by the Sikhs. Uh, the teams hop aboard, hop aboard the helicopter. And then, of course, we get a lot of reflection among the teams you know, as we get this beautiful helicopter ride. It really reminded me of the Survivor moments when we get near the finale of that show where you'll get like the, oh, the remember wins, and oh, look at how I've grown, and look how this we've done this and that. It kind of reminded me a lot of that. It was a really just beautiful uh, helicopter ride that they took. So Brendan just rocks this task and just rushes right down the ladder from the chopper with his feet not even touching the ladder. Like, he did it all with his arms. It was just, it was crazy. So, and he was talking of how rough the water was with how he was having trouble catching his breath because the water was so cold so he finishes anorag has major trouble with heights so this is a major deal for him to accomplish this task and he said being scared of heights and jumping out of a helicopter into freezing water is obviously scary so he finishes ashley finishes the three teams now head to Friday Flat. It is a slip and slide that is 300 meters. Down the slip and slide are six flags spread through the 300 meters, and you need to grab one of each to complete the task, and either team member can grab them. So you can have strategy here of you grab this and that, or just go and see what you get, and then the other one just say, hey, this one, you need to get these. <laughs> you know, there's just different strategy that was played, you know, through this. So... You know, the Cowboys struggle trying to get there as they were lost, trying to uh, trying to get to the flat. So now we've got we've got another team that's lost or having issues with this. So all teams are on foot here and they're scattered everywhere trying to find where they're going. And the Cowboys arrive at the gondola to take them over. But Ashley and Amanda now have made the time up and now are right on their tail. Instead of them having a lead, now the girls are right back on them. So, you know, the girls are pumped saying, we have a chance. We have a chance. Let's do this. Come on. We've got a chance now. So they get to the slip and slide area and they're, you know, they're racing each other on foot trying to get there first. But Jackson leans over sick, you know, as the river water had gotten to him for a few minutes. And he just leans over and can't, and can't go because he's just sick. And uh, Ashley and Amanda go past them and they take on into first place, going to the slip and slide. Jackson recovers and they're back going again. Ashley and Amanda struggle a bit on the slip and slide as Ashley keeps not getting like enough momentum and she's stopping in the same spot every time. So that was one struggle they had. The Cowboys go up. They get five out of six flags on their first attempt down. And just sailed down to slip and slide. Brendan got the last flag on his attempt. And the Cowboys are done. They're finished and moving on. Ashley and Amanda finished not long after that. But where are the Seeks? Where, where are they at? Well, the Seeks are very lost. Very, very lost. They can't find where they're going. And they get to the point where they decide to just walk the whole thing. As they had missed finding the gondola. And they're just like, there it is. We see it. Let's just walk it. So they finally get there and finish up. But now they are way behind the top two teams. So we move on. We get a visit from a lot of the eliminated teams for the next task. Is you know, traditionally amazing race kind of all around the world. Usually they have the teams in the U.S. They just have the teams... 
at the finish, at the finish line, you know, and they cheer them on when they're all coming in. So it was cool to see that Australia, you know, brings them in and kind of lets them be part of one of the last tasks. So that was really cool. I like that they did that. So here is what this task was. Um, the, so the eliminated teams for the next task are involved in this. Is teams are going to ride a chairlift to Eagle's Nest, which is up on a mountain. This task has teams looking at a board of laws. They have to match an obscure law with a state or territory in Australia. So the eliminated teams represent those places. So teams will take the law to the one that they think is right. And if correct, the teams will give them a bag of puzzle pieces. So what are some of these really obscure laws? Well, one of them was to not splash mud on people waiting for a bus. That was one of them. It's like there were some very kind of bizarre laws that uh, were in place. Very obscure, as that was what it was called. So some really random laws that these teams were really struggling with a bit, trying to figure out, you know, trying to even put this together. So there are eight bags that you need to pick up from these other teams. Ashley and Amanda start off strong. The Cowboys take back over, though, and are the first to get all their puzzle bags. Now these puzzle pieces are part of a puzzle of Australia that teams must complete. Ashley and Amanda get all their bags. The Sikhs arrive late, and they get all their bags. So it's a race now to get all these puzzle pieces put together and get this puzzle completed. The Cowboys ask for a check on their puzzle. They're good. Ashley and Amanda ask for a check on their puzzle. They're good. That gets us to the final run of this amazing race finale. But it's not going to be much of a run because this is going to be teams are going to have to go up a mountain with a mountain climb to the highest peak in Australia where the finish line of this season of the Amazing Race is. So Ashley and Amanda are seconds behind the Cowboys as the teams continue their climb up the mountain. The Sikhs are still back completing the puzzle as the eliminated teams are gathered around them, cheering them on, which was a really nice moment, making me smile. It was really cool watching them all huddled around and cheering them on and just, you know, wanting to encourage them. And the Sikhs finish to a big round of applause and they're off to go up the mountain as well. Um, Ashley and Amanda, they're catching up to the Cowboys here as Jackson's struggling with the climb. And I should point out, too, this isn't a mountain climb like a literal hands and arms kind of climb. It's a foot walk up this mountain following a path. And you're basically going uphill this whole way. And it's a brutal climb. And these top two are just giving it all they have. And Jackson continues to lean over, struggling often as they're going up. And Brendan just keeps pleading with him and encouraging him. You know, to keep going as they're so close to winning. He's like, come on, come on, you can do this. Let's go. We got to go. We got to go. You can do this. And Amanda takes Ashley's bag at one point with their bags that they're carrying. Amanda takes Ashley's bag to just try and help take something off of her to help her be able to go faster as well. And Amanda's saying she just wants to win and whatever it takes. You know, if I got to carry her bag, I'm carrying her bag. You know, we got to get this thing and we got to catch up and try to ta overtake them. So the Cowboys continue to lead, but you can see in the background that Ashley and Amanda are right behind them and they're, they're moving up on them. And we get the dramatic camera shot at the finish line around the corner to where we were waiting to see who's going to come around the corner. And it's Brendan and Jackson. 
The Cowboys finish first. Big celebration at the mat. They win the Amazing Race Australia and $250,000. Ashley and Amanda are right behind, finishing second. What an intense challenge. It was just this whole finale, especially this moment, was just really just adrenaline, adrenaline watching. You know, it really just got your adrenaline going. And it was just so intense, you know, trying to watch these two teams just try to complete this brutal climb as they're so close to winning, you know. And, of course, Ashley and Amanda are just disappointed. And you can read it all over their emotions as they were just so close. The Sikhs arrived third. They were, you know, pretty good distance behind. And because they just, they didn't, they weren't able to make that time up to where they got behind earlier in the episode. So, of course, they arrive. Teams cheer them as they arrive. And just lots of tears all around on the mat. Big group hug with them. And just as the episode ends and the finale. And so that was it. That was the end of Amazing Race Australia. It was really awesome. I really, really loved the season. And it's, you know, it was just so many episodes, too. I mean, it was 20... 22 episodes? I don't remember if that's right or not, but so much longer. It's like twice the size of what we get here in the U.S. And probably, I mean, that sounds about right. Usually about Amazing Race here, it's like 12 or 13 episodes. I don't know, somewhere around in that. I may be wrong, maybe off. But I loved these episodes. I love the way that they space them in Australia to where they're airing them Sunday, Monday, Tuesday to where you can watch three in a row. And just that, I thought that amount of episodes really helped like us connect to these teams. And I don't know, I just loved it. It was a really fun, easy watch and thankful to get to watch it. It was a lot of fun. You know, I just, I've said I didn't like, you know, the season that we had of The Amazing Race 2020. Just wasn't a fun season to watch, you know. And I just really enjoyed this. I felt like this season made up for so many. This is like one of my favorite Amazing Race seasons of any Amazing Race that I've ever watched. You know, I would I would rewatch this in a second. It was that much fun. And I just love the cast, love the task, uh, love the host, just everything. It's just fun. So I may have to go back and try to watch some previous seasons of Amazing Race Australia. Maybe I need to jump back and try to watch some of those. But yeah, the finish line reached for this season of Amazing Race Australia. And the winners are the Cowboys, Brendan and Jackson. Carrie Underwood's album, My Savior, released late last week. I've checked it out, listened to it, of course, Friday, first thing, got out and took my walk for the day and listened to it and enjoyed it. Very good album, just a lot of fun. Some of my favorites. Well, let me just go over the list of all the songs that are on this here album. Have Jesus Loves Me, that is on there. That is an instrumental. Nothing But the Blood of Jesus, Blessed Assurance, Just As I Am, Victory in Jesus, Great is Thy Faithfulness, which is also featuring C.C. Winan on that. Oh, How I Love Jesus, How Great Thou Art, Because He Lives. The Old Rugged Cross, I Surrender All, Softly and Tenderly, Amazing Grace. This is all like old hymnals. That's basically, obviously, the theme. You can tell with all those songs that are on that. She's going with a uh, 
like an old like gospel hymnal kind of feel with this album. This is something we've really wanted for a long time from her, like going back to How Great Thou Art, uh, Jesus Take the Wheel, obviously. But she would do a lot of these songs occasionally, you know, like gospel songs and everything. And we've, for the longest time, wanted one of these albums from her. It was always like that really distant, hopeful kind of feel like, well, it'd be great if she would do that. But I don't know if we ever felt like she would ever have the time to do it. So the time came and she did it. And we're all very happy. The feedback on it's been very good so far from everything I have seen. So yeah, it's uh, some of my favorites on there. Nothing But the Blood of Jesus, Blessed Assurance, Victory in Jesus. I just I love the spin that she puts on a lot of these songs to where it's like she keeps it like it was, but she puts her she puts her own spin on it, you know, and kind of makes it her own a little if that makes sense. So that's very cool. She did uh I believe it's nothing but the blood of Jesus was the one that was on the Today show last Friday, if I remember right. She did a interview on there that was very good and then uh had recorded a performance of that for the Today Show, which they aired. So, of course, How Great They Are, and I love that. Uh, I've heard her do that live several times, and it just will shake you <laughs> when she starts climbing those notes at the very end. Like, it will vibrate the room. It is incredible. I've heard her do it at the Ryman, I think at the Opry House, I think those are the only two venues I've heard her do that particular song. And of course, I'm a fan club member, so seen her many times in concert. So got that. And then, uh, well, and it's good too with How Great Thou Art, with it being on this album, is that this is, because uh, we've always had that version from before, you know, and it's it's good to get like a new recording of it, you know, cause that the other one was a live version. So it's really good to get like a studio version of this and kind of get it updated, you know? So very cool because he lives. That's one of my favorites on here. It just sounds so cool. I like the spin she does on that softly and tenderly. So good. That's the one she did at the CMA awards three years ago. I believe it was 18. Uh, or seven, 18? Yeah, it was 18. I think it was CMAs of 18, if I remember right. Somewhere around there. I think my, I'm pretty sure my number's right, though. But she performed that as uh, the tribute uh, at that, you know, to the, to the awful tragedy that happened in Vegas. You know, that was a tribute that was done there. Just a beautiful version of that song. And the studio version that was recorded for this album is uh exact it sounds exactly the same so if you love that cma awards performance like i did it's just so beautiful and it's it uh translates over here onto this album very strong so yeah nothing but a thumbs up from me on this album of course i'm biased because i'm a fan but you know it's uh it definitely lived up to our hope our hype our weight and all that it was something that we've wanted for a very long time we've gotten two things we wanted for a very long time we wanted a christmas album 
we desperately wanted a Christmas album going back to, you know, the 2000s when she did, you know, Do You Hear What I Hear? And, you know, she did like a couple of those Christmas songs. It's like, man, it'd be really great to get a Christmas song, a Christmas album from her. And she delivered on that. And then we got the surprise, you know, just in time for Easter that we were going to get this album here. So we got two albums that we really wanted from her knocked out in six months of release. Uh, Maybe a little longer, about eight months or so. Less than a year, though. That's incredible. So definitely go check this out. I think you will really enjoy it. It's just, it's very spirit lifting. It was awesome being out there just walking that day and really enjoying this album. It was a great way to spend about an hour of my walk that day. So Carrie Underwood's My Savior is available wherever you get music. So let's get into some TV topics here. Survivor going back to filming. Great news to hear here. Jeff Probst last week announced on his social media that Survivor would be going back into production. This will be, I mean, Survivor's been shut down for a year. They were planning on uh, shooting season 41 last March. And then the pandemic happened and they shut everything down. They were getting ready to go to Fiji at that time. So we've had, you know, a couple seasons here where we would have had seasons. You know, we'd have gotten a fall survivor season and a spring season. So we've been without Survivor for a year. I mean, the last, uh, that last season ended, what, in May, June, whenever, I guess it was May. When, uh, when it ended, so by the time, I assume we'll be back in the fall with Survivor, I assume they're going to start it now, and then we'll start it soon, and then I'll have that thing ready to go in the fall, because I'm sure CBS is ready to get that thing back on the air, so, I mean, we're going to be like a year and probably three months, four months without Survivor by the time we get a new season, that's just kind of crazy to think about, so... This is what Jeff Probst said on his social media last week. He said, Survivor is going back into production. Fiji has invited us back to their beautiful country to shoot season 41. We have all of our COVID protocols in place so that everybody in Fiji will remain safe. All of our crew will be safe. And of course, our players will be safe. I've got to tell you, I can't remember a time when I've been this pumped to shoot Survivor. And I'll tell you why. This past year has reminded me And I hope it's reminded you that you've got to live your life like it's one big, great adventure. And Survivor fulfills that. So I'm thrilled to say I will see you on the island for Survivor 41. Let's do it. So pretty exciting there. I'm really excited to get Survivor back. Tell you what, I may, with all the amazing race Australia I've been watching, I may need to jump in and try to watch some Survivor Australia because I hear really good things about that, and that is up online to watch. I may need to jump over there and maybe watch some of that this summer, just to check one out. So, some other news. Young Sheldon, which is the spinoff of The Big Bang Theory, following you know the character of Sheldon when he was a kid, it has already been renewed for three more seasons. It's been renewed for seasons five, six, and seven on CBS, and that will take it through the 2023-24 season. It's the most watched comedy on TV. 
So that is pretty impressive. Anytime you get a show that gets that long of a renewal, that's impressive. You know, there are some shows that get it. It's rare, but there are shows that get it, and this is one of them. HBO is working on a drama series on the 1980s Showtime Los Angeles Lakers team. This series is going to be based off of the Jeff Perlman book that was called Showtime, Magic, Kareem, Riley, and the Los Angeles Lakers Dynasty of the 80s. Uh, very cool. I'm very interested to check this out. This is something they're working on. They're, they've got the casting already going. And there's I think they've maybe even shot a pilot. It sounds like they've even got a pilot for this already. So it's kind of in the early stages, it kind of sounds like. But they've got the casting. I've already seen like who they've got cast for a lot of these roles. So I'm pretty pumped to get that. I've not seen... I've heard of the book. I've not read it. I'm actually about to order the book. Because that's something just right up my alley. And of course I love the... 80s Showtime Lakers, love Magic Johnson, you know, Michael Jordan's number one for my all-time favorite player, but Magic's right there at two, so that's something, that's a book that I'm really interested to read, I just feel like there's probably a lot of great stories in there and a lot of behind the scenes, I read Magic's autobiography that came out in the early 90s, I was just glued to it. I think I even did a book report on it in school. I think I even did a book report at one point on that book. So as a kid, so um, yeah, that's uh, and I love that book. I was glued to it every time. Like we got downtime in class, I'd pull the book out and start reading some more, and just really loved it. So this seems like a book right up my alley. So it is something I'm about to read. Hopefully here soon. I've got a, like five books that I've got set to read. That I've, some of them I've got. Some of them I need to order. This is one of them I'm about to order and act, add to the stack. So that will be very fun. But yeah, that's something to keep an eye on. That HBO is working on this drama series that's going to be based off that book. So very, very cool. The 90210 Show podcast this week did an episode around one of my favorite episodes as far as something that's just a really fun, laid-back episode. The Season 1 Spring Training episode. That uh, This is the episode where Brandon and Steve, along with Jim Walsh, coach a youth baseball team. And they have to deal with the politics of the team, with the rich parents involved and such. And you got snobby players that are on there making fun of other kids, you know. And we also have Nat coaching a team, too. You know, and they set up a game where the two teams are going to play each other, a little exhibition just for fun. Uh, we have Noah, you know, the, the kid Noah that was on uh, on uh, this uh, team with Brandon and Steve and Jim where he's just always making fun of the other kids, just real snob and, like, behavior and... A lot of kids on the other team, you know, on Nat's team that had like a really rough life to that point, kind of remind you of like Bad News Bears, kind of. It's kind of that scenario with kind of how they set up that storyline of it to where, you know, it's like they're just out there for fun. They're overmatched, oversized, you know, they, like the kids they're playing against, this team of Brandon and Steve and Jim's are like, you know, these are like kids that are clearly going to be players, you know, in the future, you know, they're going to be like high school, like athletes, you know, or something like that. Whereas Nat's team, you know, they're just, they're just doing it for fun. They just love doing it. And, um, so you have that moment where a lot of the kids, you know, on the, 
on that team are making fun of the other. So Brandon puts the squash on the behavior of Noah, Corey, and a lot of the others where he's like, no, we're not doing that. We're not doing any of that stuff to the point where Steve battles back and he's like, what's your problem, Brandon? What's the deal? It's like, I'm not putting up with this. And Brandon ends up quitting. He's like, all right, fine. You, you like that, you deal with that. And so Brandon starts to coach Nat's team, but he ends up sticking with his dad and coaching the other team. So, you know, he tells Nat, it's like, you know, I'm with you. It's like, I'm, I'm with you. You know, even though I'm going to be on the other team, my heart's with this team. And Nat's like, well, you know, if you decide to come back, you know, there's a place for you. And say, like, well, I appreciate that. So Brandon goes to Dylan saying, hey, I'd still love for you to coach. Which Dylan's like, come on, I already told you. I, I have no I have no interest in in coaching this team. And Brandon's like, well, what if I told you if it was Nat's team? And Dylan's like, hmm, well, now that's a whole different story altogether. So that gets Dylan involved. And then we get the story of, you know, the moment where Andrea brings in, she's like, hey, I know somebody. I've got this kid, Avery, and Avery's just really good, really awesome. Uh, maybe I could give Avery a call, see if Avery would want to play. And then we find out that Avery's a female and she's a ringer. And she's like, like the star, you know, it really reminds you of like, you know, the bad news bears. I went back to that analogy, but when they brought Amanda in on the team and she was the ringer for the bad news bears, you know, it really reminded you of this where Avery is that, you know, she gets into the game and of course Noah's like, who's this? She's a girl. What's she going to do? You know, and first, and he's up there making fun of her. And first thing she does is Homer. (laughs) It's a home run. It's awesome. It's an awesome, awesome moment. So, yeah, it was a very cool thing. And then you've got, you know, the end of the game where you've got uh, the pitcher, you know, Davey, where he's really having, he's like the, he's the middle ground to where you've got Noah and all these kids that act terrible. And then Davey is like the one that has his head on straight and sees it from a different perspective. And little Manny comes up to bat for Nat's team who's just this tiny little kid, you know, and and Brandon, of course, he's went back to the other team, and right when Manny comes up to bat, you know, Brandon, call, he's like, time out, and he pulls all the team together, and he's like, okay, look, so we all know what's going to happen here. Manny's going to come up, and he's probably going to come up here, and he's going to swing three times straight, and he's going to miss every one of them probably by a mile, and you know what? we're all going to be very respectful of him and nobody's going to make fun of him. He's like, am I clear? You know, so we go away. And of course, first thing Noah starts doing is like, you know, making fun of him from the, from the field. And Davey has that moment of, you know, like, what do I do here? And he gets that, like, I'm, I know what I'm going to do. And he lobs just this easy pitch to Manny who just nails it. And uh, their outfielder drops the ball it's just this really good moment, and Nat's team wins, and you know Brandon goes up to Davey after the game and says, well, how does it feel to be the pitcher on record? And Davey just smiles and says, feels pretty good. And uh, you know Brandon just pats him, pats him on the back as he goes by. And of course, Noah and Corey are out there just like, it doesn't matter. It's just a stupid exhibition game. It doesn't count. And Steve comes up. He's like, Noah, it counts. So it's just, it's a very cool episode. It's a very fun episode. 
it's got a good story to it. You know, it's just a feel good story. We also have the moment in this episode where Brenda uh, finds a dog or actually the dog finds her. She's out running and this dog just comes up and attaches to her and she names him Wally and they Wally moves into the Walsh house and drives the family crazy and then he ends up disappearing. He runs off and we don't see him again until the end of the episode to where he runs onto the field and the kid that actually dropped the ball in the outfield on that winning play well, was actually a losing play for his team. Uh, he's just out there just crushed and Brandon and Steve are out there talking to him and just trying to encourage him, you know, and, and all of a sudden the dog runs in and Brenda's like, Hey, it's Wally or no, Brandon said, no, it's Wally. They both did actually. Brandon's like, isn't that Brenda's dog? It's Wally. And, uh, the kid's like, that's not Wally. That's Rupert. That's my dog. He's been missing. I didn't know what he was, where he's been. And just a fun, it's a fun episode. A lot of the hijinks with the dog is really fun. So they covered this on the show podcast. And as far as the dog goes, they said that they named the dog Rupert after Rupert Murdoch, who was the head of Fox. That's where they got the name for uh, Rupert. Larry Mullen he said the dog was just an incredible dog actor, that they just loved him, said he was just awesome to uh, work with. He was so easy to work with, just a great dog, well-trained, and they just really hyped on that. Charles Rosen said that at this point, when they were shooting these episodes, that this was the point where they got the summer episode plan laid on them, which if you are or or are not familiar with 90210, the first season set on its own, and then seasons two and three started early in the summer to where they could kind of build a summer audience and then launch into the fall, which really worked. It seemed like when, I always felt like 90210 really got momentum with that first series of summer episodes that they did. And of course, they ran, you know, the long season two, and then they came back for season three, and that was senior year, and they started it early, too, and had a big you know, storyline twist through that summer, too. So he said when they were shooting this episode, he was like in mode of like, okay, we've got to do summer episodes, and how are we going to do this, and what's our plan? So that was one thing that was going on. He said that you know, it was pitched to him about, literally, about baseball, you know, of why don't you, you love baseball, why, and why don't you just do like a youth baseball episode, and... He did that. They actually, on this podcast, they brought on Paige Gosney, who played Corey on the team. That was a fun moment. I was I was like, you know what? That's cool that they brought on some of these kids that were on that team. I wish they'd brought in more if they could have found them. I don't know if that's I don't know if that's possible. I don't know how easy they are to find, but I thought that was really cool. And uh, he just he said he had a great time on the show working with them, said the cast was great. Uh, He said it was actually supposed to be a one-week shoot, and then they had a lot of rain that week, so it ended up turning into a two-week shoot. So that was interesting. They um, One thing they did on this episode, they rolled in some footage from, I think they said it was last year or a year before, maybe two years ago, where um, they went to that particular baseball field, and... This said, you know, this is where we shot this episode at. And they showed showed that and told some stories. And it looked exactly the same. 
it was just crazy how much it looked the same. Of course, what I saw of it, I mean, they just showed like, you know, toward home plate and then back toward the outfield, which is mostly what we saw in the episode anyway. But just very cool. I'd never even thought about that, you know, of where they shot that particular episode. But goodness, if I was in like Los Angeles area, Beverly Hills, you know, area or whatever, I would absolutely have to go to that park and check that out just for my nerd 90210 self to check that out and see that. I just think that would be really fun to see something like that because I love like scenery and stuff as far as like shoot locations. That's where that's the words I'm looking for. I love seeing where, uh, you know, the on set locations and stuff and, and it would just completely nerd me out to see it in person and be like, Oh my goodness, it looks exactly the same. <laughs> you know, that would make it even better for me. It looked like it had really not changed much in 30 years. So very, very cool. But yeah, that's an episode I really loved. When I heard that they were going to do that on the podcast uh, this week, I thought, oh, I'm definitely in for that. Because it's just one of those really fun, like laid back episodes with a really just good, sweet story in those early episodes. I think this was episode 20, 22, episode 20. I don't know, somewhere around in there for uh, season one. It was called Spring Training. I've actually watched this a couple of times. I talk about... Pluto has the channel where they air 90210 on Melrose Place. I've actually watched this episode twice, I think, in the last month because I'll land on there and say, what are they showing today, you know? And that's the one they'll be showing, and I'll tune in and watch it again. But, yeah, if you uh, if you want to hear them talk about this particular episode, you can look up the Beverly Hills 90210 Show podcast uh, you can pick it up where you get all your audio podcast, or you can do like what I do, watch it on YouTube. I like watching it on YouTube. So you can pick it up either way that you would like. A few movie things here to discuss. Coming to America, the sequel to that 80s hit starring Eddie Murphy, uh, his hit number one on Nielsen U.S. streaming rankings for March 1st through the 7th. That is the info that Nielsen put out recently. Uh, they said it accounted for 1.41 billion minutes of viewing time among streaming. So, most watched film to debut on a streaming service in six months. And also big news for Godzilla vs. Kong 9.6 million dollar opening day at the box office for that movie. It's the record for an opening day during the pandemic. Uh, so it's very successful. They're expecting maybe 20 million for opening week. I think it's kind of what they're kind of leaning toward. So it does show that people are wanting to get back to theaters, you know, whenever they can. Uh, of course, this movie is also, if you don't want to go out to the movies, it is also up on HBO Max. It's going to be up there for the next month. So there is also talk of another Transformers movie that is in the works. The Hollywood Reporter had a story last week that a new movie was in the works. Paramount is said to be developing it. It would be separate from the Michael Bay series of movies. And Marco Ramirez, who is the showrunner of Marvel's The Defenders, which is on Netflix, he is going to be 
the script the script writer for this new Transformers movie and they're also talking about that there's several Transformers movies in the works including the seventh movie which is going to be directed by Stephen Capel so we'll have to see how that goes my question is of course I'm excited for all that my question is are we going to get a Bumblebee 2 at some point? That's what I really, really want. I was not a fan. Of, well, let me oh, let me first back up and start. I'm a huge Transformers G1 fan. That's what I grew up on as a kid. I love G1 Transformers. I was not a fan of the Michael Bay movies. I The first one was okay. The second one, eh. I thought the... Of course, I get them kind of mixed up. I think the third one was a little better. I thought the third one was better. Then I just kind of quit watching them after that. I never even saw like the one, the last Michael Bay Transformers movie. I asked one of my friends that was a big, he's a big Transformers G1 fan too. And I asked him, do I need to watch this? Like, you know my fandom. Is this something I need to watch or is, or do I just need to skip it? And he said, skip it. <laughs> He's like, don't go to the movies and see it. Maybe if you get it on DVD or something, you can rent it. Maybe watch it. But don't go out of your way. That was, And I trusted his opinion on it. But I just was not crazy about the Michael Bay Transformers movies. Because I made it, he made it pretty clear he didn't care anything about like the G1 fans or anything. He was just doing his own thing, which is like blow stuff up. Just a lot of like the potty humor. And especially like we got halfway through the first movie, there was a lot of potty humor like right in the middle where I was like, what is this? You know? And I don't know. I just, I didn't like the Michael Bay movies at all. So when we got to Bumblebee, you know, I talked about, I didn't ever watch the last one. Didn't care. Just didn't really even care to watch it. But the word I was hearing about Bumblebee, it was like, hey, this is a different person that's writing this. This is not Michael Bay. The guy that is writing this Bumblebee movie is a legit G1 fan. He's he's an old school fan. He's going to do this right. So... It's like, okay, you know, and I saw the previews, like, yeah, okay, let's check this out. I went to the movies and saw it, and I came out of there like, this is awesome. I love, I loved it. This was so fun. It, it was, I loved Bumblebee. I loved the story. The casting was great. Um, the way that they set it in the 80s was perfect. And, I loved how they did all that with the music, just everything. When you were watching it, it felt like you were watching an 80s movie. That It was so perfectly done as far as that goes. And I just loved the story. It was fun. And it got, it got me back feeling good about Transformers movies again, you know, to where I'm like, okay, the, this is the redemption. Because they talked about, you know, and it talked about with even this new movie that it's a gamble that they feel like the Transformers fandom has went down because the box office has went down with every one of them. But I feel like a lot of them are probably because it's, they're people like me that just like, we want Transformers movies. We don't like those Transformers movies, but I felt like, cause Bumblebee did well at the box office, but it didn't do the numbers that it was doing. And I think that's what everybody was comparing it to. 
And I felt like Bumblebee was kind of like that that point to where they were trying to pull people back in where it's like, hey, give us a chance. You know, give us a chance, you know, to the fans that have that have lost interest due to the Michael Bay movies. Hey, give us a chance and let us try to get this thing back for you. And to me, I felt like with Bumblebee, that's where we were headed. You know, so right after that, I kept looking like, okay, is there going to be a Bumblebee 2? And I think I've looked at, into this for like three years now. So it will be interesting to see if any of these new movies that are in the works are going to be in the Bumblebee universe. Like I said, I love the other one. I love the first one, the first Bumblebee. Really good. So well written. There's there's one moment, if you've seen the movie, I'm not going to spoil it. Uh, I'll just say what it compares to. I went to the movies and saw this by myself. And the, the Breakfast Club spoof and i'm just gonna leave it at that when that thing happened i was sitting there by myself in that theater and i was trying everything i could to not just laugh so hard out loud because it's like i didn't want to be that guy that's just sitting laughing hysterically by himself in the theater but i was sitting on the back row just roaring inside because it was hilarious it was one of the funniest things i think i've ever seen in a movie especially if you know what that was playing off of with the breakfast club which they which they do show in the movie you know they they roll some breakfast club footage in here but man that moment when that happened i was it was taking everything i had back there to not just let that laughter roar in the whole theater so, because there wasn't very many, I went to like a daytime showing, so I went to the matinee, so there weren't as many people in there. It wouldn't have been as big if it had been like a full theater, but it's like, I just didn't want to be that guy that's just, you know, sitting in there with like, you know, 20 people or something, just roaring in laughter. So, very interested to see what this new Transformers movie will be. So, a lot of excitement. I think they can get this thing back on track. Because they did lose a lot of people with the Michael Bay stuff. Myself included. And I'm a hardcore. You know, and I didn't watch the last one or two or however many it was. See, I don't even know how what the count is. That's, that's how much I quit caring about them. That I don't even know what the count was of how many movies that there were. So, yeah. Got some cool stuff coming up. Movie-wise, Transformers, I'm excited about that. So let's talk Big Brother Canada 9 as we had the Invisible HOH week. What's the Invisible HOH week? It's exactly how it sounds. If you win HOH for the week, you're invisible with your nominations, your have-not picks. Everything is done anonymously. And people have no idea who the HOH is unless you tell them. That was one thing we didn't know. Would the people be allowed, would the HOH be allowed to tell people that they want to tell that they're the HOH? And the answer was yes, because there was some of that going on this week. Very little of it, but there was some. So where we left off last week, we had the HOH competition where you had the conveyor belt with the rocks falling off of it. And you had to count how many rocks were falling off. And you had a joystick in your hand. So every time you would see rocks, you would just hit your thing and you'd try to count 
and keep up with the count. You know, you might get like one, two, three, and then you might get hit with a wave of like three, four, five, six, seven, eight, <laughs> you know, and you just have to keep hitting your joystick and trying to keep up and try to get as close to the number as you can until it, the conveyor belt time is over. So while this is going on, we also had some temptations coming in here to try to mess with the players, get people to give up on a competition or, you know, take a disadvantage in it. So the first temptation that we got for the house guest was if three people turn around right now away from the conveyor belt, the house gets a feast. Nobody took it. The next temptation was a one-week house guest slot pass, which means that you have slot pass to where if you get picked as a have-not, you can play that pass and you're good. You can play it any week you want to. There's no no time limit on it. You can use it anytime you want. The only person to who turns their back for the longest time will get it. That's the stipulation on it. So Victoria, she turns around for a few seconds and then turns back. Tara turns around for one quick second and turns back with just kind of a deal where she just did it in case nobody else turned. She could at least turn around for one second and get it, which was good strategy on her part, I thought, with that, because you never know. Maybe somebody doesn't do it, and then you've got it. So Victoria got it. She got it for the longest. They were the only two that turned, from what I remember, unless there's somebody I'm forgetting, but I'm pretty sure on that. Next is the furthest away temptation, which is a letter from home. Basically, it's the person who is the furthest away from the rock total. As this competition is still continuing at this point, your thing's going to light up and you have the option of you can take this temptation, get your letter, in, but you have to give up HOH. Tina was the furthest away. She was a pretty significant amount away. And she takes the letter, which was smart, because if you're that far away, you know, what are you going to do? Punch it like 30 or 40 times or 100 times? I mean, it's there's no way you could catch up. If you know you're that far out, take the letter. You know, take the letter and get out of there. That seems like the smartest thing to do, and that's what she did. So we reached the end of the rocks falling, and we see on the screen that there's a total of 689 rocks. So Arissa announces that the house guests can either hold what they have if they feel good with their number or they have a few seconds to where they can make any final changes that they want. If you just want to add some more, if you think, yeah, I think I was off a little, let me add a few more. So, or you can hold. So what ends up happening is we have Tara. She is at 677. She randomly decides to add 11 because she says 11 is her favorite number. Remember, there's 689 rocks here. She picks 11. It puts her at 688, one under the amount. Then we go over to Victoria. She's already at 688. She's also one under, which is incredible by both of them that they've done this, that she just added 11, and then Victoria was sitting at 688. So that leaves us with a tie. So Arissa announces that there is a tie, but with this being invisible, she's obviously not going to say out loud who the tie is. If your light inside your pod turns yellow, you are one of the two people that's in a tie. Or Yeah, I think she said two people, right? Anyway, whoever, if you're in the tie, you know, your, light, your light's going to pop up in your uh, pod to let you know, hey, you're, you're one of them. So we get to the tiebreaker question, which is, 
How many minutes pass between the first and last rock? Victoria picks 41. Tara picks 51. The correct number is 42. So Victoria, again, missed it only by one, again, which was pretty amazing. So Victoria is the invisible HOH. Her jaw drops, and Arissa reminds the HOH to not celebrate, to stay quiet and keep your secret. So now the talk of the house turns to who won it. Brayden thinks it was Ty or Jed. Beth and Ty think it is Brayden. Roe and Austin are in the ball pit mouthing to each other silently on who they think HOH is. And Victoria sits up out of the ball pit. That was pretty funny. Tara admitted to Victoria and Tina that she was the runner-up. So she outed her spot. Tina admitted to the letter. Victoria goes to Kiefer and reveals that she has HOH. Then she says, I'm just kidding. No, seriously, I did win. Really? No, no, it's not me. Kiefer's very confused. He goes from celebrating to, oh, you don't have it? Oh, you got it. Yay. Oh, you don't have it. I don't know what Victoria's doing here. <laughs> it's it's very all over the place, which is going to be very much of this week <laughs> that's coming up. Ty and Jed pull Braden and Austin into the room where they say, we think one of you have it. And they make a safety pitch to Braden and Austin to which they have no power, but Austin says in the DR, hey, I'm, I'll gladly listen to this. So Victoria tells Ty that she thinks Roe or Beth have the HOH. Victoria starts setting up her HOH plans when she vents, saying that Austin disappeared from hanging out with her after she lost HOH power before. So this is the reasoning she's going to be using here to try to get Austin as her target. She tells Austin that she doesn't have the power, while Austin says that she wishes Victoria did have the power. So, Kiefer calls the house guests to the living room for the have-not reveal. And again, remember, the HOH is invisible, so you don't know who, who puts you on up as a have-not here for the week. So, the have-nots are Brayden, Austin, Kiefer, and Victoria. <laughs> Yes, Victoria put herself up as a have-not to try to throw people off. She makes a big scene about it, about being put up as a have-not. This just it's terrible, and she walks off upstairs. So while she's talking about how she is such a genius and the greatest Big Brother player ever, meanwhile, this is the moment when most of the house figured out, yeah, she's probably the invisible HOH because of her putting herself up and then storming off and making a big scene. <laughs> so what she ended up doing ended up pretty much outing herself to where it put more of a target. Instead of it deflecting the target, it put more of a target on her. So that's pretty funny. So now she left the triangle of Todd, Jed, and Beth off of have-nots, which you can clearly see the plan is to pin it on one of them. And the paranoia continues as Braden and Austin say they think the invisible HOH is Roe. Jed then walks in and tells Austin and Braden, good move, <laughs> which I thought was pretty funny. So the triangle talks, which is Ty, Jed, and Beth. 
they all talk and they see the have not moved too as that someone is pinning it on them by keeping them off of have nots to be to have the house look around and say look look who wasn't up as a have not it's one of them so beth says that victoria probably has the slot pass too because she can put herself up as a have not and then she can use the slot pass on herself to where she gets to eat for the week so now Kiefer's going to go upstairs. He talks to Victoria saying great move because now that makes the triangle look suspicious. So the nominations are revealed and it is Austin and Braden. That's your nominations for the week. Of course, both nominees, not happy campers. One thing that was not shown on the show or even touched on at all was that Victoria was seriously considering putting herself on the block for probably a day before the nominations to do this to throw people off is another strategy going back to the have-nots. She was really struggling over this decision to amazingly want to put herself on the block, which would have just been crazy if she would have done that. They didn't show this on the show, but this was a major deal on the live feeds was that she was seriously considering to do that. So that gets us to the veto competition episode. Austin and Braden, they talk to Roe and ask him, hey, if you won, would you use the veto on us? He says, yeah, I would. And he repeats it multiple times. So, of course, Roe wins the veto. And Victoria tries to work on Roe on whether, you know, trying to get him to where he won't use the veto. And Roe says the boys say that she is HOH. And she says, I'm not the HOH. So, Roe is struggling now on the veto. He backtracks on the veto usage. In a conversation with Austin and Braden, they can tell he's backtracking. You can read it all over Austin and Braden's face that they're like, oh, he's, he's changed his tone here. He's, he's wavering. And Austin sees it, and she flat out asks him if he's going to use it. And this is like the second time Austin's done this in like a week or two weeks or whatever. She called out, you know, just a flat out question last week. And uh, it's like, you're, you're not going to use it, are you? Or are you going to use it? And Rose says, I can't. It's too risky. So in the veto ceremony speeches, Austin says, Roe, said, you said you were going to use it. So do what is best for you. And Roe doesn't use it, and the nominations say, stay the same. And Roe's having all kinds of remorse on this, where he's saying, I came in here to play a game, I was going to be ruthless, and I'm starting to like people, and now I feel bad. And he said he just he couldn't put his neck out and anger people. Roe, don't tell people you'll use it. <laughs> it's like when people ask you, Will you use the veto? Just dance the middle ground and just, you know, say you'll see what happens or I don't know, or hopefully, you know, just anything. Don't just flat out say, yes, I will use it. Because when you say it like you said it, that gets it all over you. You know, there's no way out of that. If he could have just like danced that middle ground, it would have saved him some, it would have given him a little bit of wiggle room here. You know, but when he just flat out says, yeah, of course I'll use it, yeah. And they're counting on that. And then after he goes back on it, that's hard. You know, but yeah, you can't just flat out say, yes, I will use it, and then back out of it. And not expect for there to be pushback on it. 
you know, that keeps you out of this scenario if you just dance that middle ground somehow. But, so Victoria continues to be mad at Austin for whatever reason Victoria has. She's mad at the speech saying that the speech was pointed at her from Austin and that she's livid over it. Austin doesn't know, Austin doesn't think she's HOH. So you're mad at Austin for putting, for thinking, this is so hard to even explain. You're mad at Austin for coming, feel like the, the speech was coming at you when you're lying to her that you're not the HOH. It's, I don't know, it's, it's bizarre. How do you even explain that? So, Braden talks to Tina and Tara saying that he would put up Ty and Jed if he stays and became HOH, which is exactly what Tara wanted to hear, is she wants to work with Braden, and she was swaying, swaying on trying to figure out what to do with her vote. So this is she's all in on Braden now. Like, this, yeah, that's what I want to hear. He's going to go after Ty and Jed. Yes, I'm in for this. So Austin talks to Beth, where they have a discussion with what Beth had already talked about on the live feeds before this uh, conversation that was shown on TV, to where she's feeling like, the boys could be bad for her game and that she feels like that she's playing their game instead of her own. And Austin confirms more of Beth's thoughts while Beth is saying that Austin brings up great points, but she's just not sure she can go against the boys. So Beth has a decision and Beth, Ty and Jed, they, they know they're the, they're the votes, like whatever they want to do, they can send whoever they want out here. They know, they're very aware of this. So Beth is also saying she knows the boys will take each other and not take her when it comes down to the end. So it's something she's going to have to keep in the back of her mind as this game progresses. So we get to the votes. It's a unanimous vote, 7-0 with Austin being voted out. The votes, were, the votes for Austin were Kiefer, Beth, Jed, Ty, Tara, Tina, and Roe. So with Austin not being on the jury, I was thinking she's surely going to be finding out about who the invisible HOH is. So this is going to give us some good TV here because Austin, Austin considered Victoria an ally. You know, Victoria has just been all aboard the rip Austin train all week and get Austin out, but... Austin's been like her ally, one of her allies in the house and was was with her this week, you know, and so I don't know, just I just didn't feel like this was a good move for a Victoria here to basically vote somebody out that was was seemingly with you, but I don't know. So the goodbye videos has Beth revealing the Sunsetters alliance where she's like, I'm sorry, I couldn't do it. I was already on the you, it's too late. You came to me too late. We've, I've been in an alliance with this group called the Sunsetters since day two. I'm just so sorry. It's just too late and I couldn't do anything. And you're just on the wrong side of the house. It was just too late. I'm sorry. Victoria leaves a really rough goodbye message for Austin. And she reveals that she was the invisible HOH. It was a pretty brutal uh, goodbye message. So, we get to the HOH competition. What happened last night is the house guests were woke up all night with the Big Brother calendar reveal. 
So every so often, you know, something would go off in the house and I'd have to run to the TV downstairs where they're seeing pictures of their calendar, of their big brother calendar. And there were clues There's of dates. There was like random dates of like events and stuff on the calendar, just like you'd have on a calendar. And they have, you know, it's basically like keep an eye on this. You need to remember these things because this is probably going to be coming up. You know, they know there's a reason that you're being woke up, you know, on like every hour or whatever it was, you know, just random times. So they answered questions in this HOH competition based on things that were on the calendar. So it comes down to Jed, Bray, and Beth in this HOH competition. Braden goes out. That leaves it down to Beth and Jed. So this is very interesting. And they get another question right, and it goes to a tiebreaker. Beth wins HOH. And we also learn that next week is going to be a double eviction and that jury begins next week too. So Austin tonight was the last non-juror. So Beth is HOH. Who will she put up? I just, I have to think, I have to think Victoria surely has to be a target because Victoria has been trying to pin everything on Beth. Anything that Victoria does in the game, she's been trying to throw Beth under the bus and including to her face. You know, and they had that one blow up in the room where she was trying to get a reaction out of Beth and Beth wasn't giving it to her. And she really wanted Beth to just blow up and make a big scene and Beth wasn't giving it to her. Beth was just like, okay, you know, whatever. <laughs> and and it frustrated Victoria because it wasn't giving it wasn't getting the reaction that she wanted. So, man, I don't know. This HOH week by Victoria was very messy. Um, man, I don't know. I just, yeah, it's it's messy. I don't really know how else to put it to that. It's great TV, though. It's great TV. So, but man, if Victoria ends up on the block, you talk about great TV, this is going to be some good television if she sits on the block because we are going to see some random game plan, you know, to see how she reacts to try to get herself out of this. And again, remember, it's like we've all week she's just like, I'm amazing. Nobody knows that I'm the HOH. And it's like the whole house pretty much knows that she's HOH. The only people that actually didn't think that it was her as HOH was Braden and Austin. Everybody else has pretty much figured out it's Victoria because she's made herself look completely spotlighted all week. You know, like I said, they pretty well figured it out when she did the have not thing. So the best thing for Victoria would have just been to just lay low this week, but instead she's just completely in everything you know, and trying to make a scene on everything and overdoing stuff. And it's really just made her a, made her invisibility go away to where everybody knows that it's her. I have to think she's on the block this week, whether it's nominations or like a replacement nom. I have to feel like she's up there. But man, I'm telling you, if she ends up on the block, this is going to be some good television because there is no telling what she is going to do 
on the block because we've seen her in power. What are we going to do when she's sweating the block? So, because all's fun and games until you sit on that block. That's how we know with Big Brother over the years. You know, everything can be so great and you can be so confident, but the second you sit on that block, that's when the sweating begins and we see kind of how people react to it. So, yeah, that is the week of Big Brother Canada 9. It's been interesting. It's been really, really messy. <laughs> but I really like the Invisible HOH twist. That was really fun. That's something that needs to be brought back. Big Brother US needs to look into that. It was one really great twist, especially when a lot of these twists, especially Big Brother US, I don't know how many twists that just flop that Big Brother US do. It's rare that a twist of Big Brother US doesn't flop. So this, I thought this was a great twist because you can, this allows house guests to take a chance and take a shot at anybody they want and keeps them secret. So how many times do you see HOHs that want to take a shot at somebody, but they don't want to turn on their alliance or put a spotlight on them? So yeah, this, this twist needs to be brought back. It needs to be not just in Canada, but Big Brother US needs to look into this too, because this was fun. I really enjoyed this. And you can get some really good gameplay when you don't know who is in power. And when you're talking strategy with people, you don't know if you're talking to the person. Like Austin, she didn't know if she's talking to the person that nominated her or, or if she's talking to an ally. You know, that's that's what makes this strategy of the Indivisible HOH so fun, is it really makes you paranoid over you don't know who to talk to and who to talk strategy with because you don't know if that person you're talking to is the one that is HOH and nominated you. So, yeah, Big Brother, everybody, do that twist. It's fun. But this was the week of Big Brother Canada 9. That wraps up this week's episode of the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Take care. God bless. And I hope you have a great day. Mm -hmm.